0: Jesus was emotionally healthy. We, we see him uh, in this passage that we're actually going to return to again in the garden uh, just before he goes to his death of being aware of what's happening below the surface. And we see Jesus. We talked about three things. Jesus offers up to God. He's, he's honest with himself about his feelings, about his desires, what he really wants, and then we see Jesus offer God his, his trust. And we mentioned that um, surrender is the beginning of the journey toward emotional health and emotional maturity. Surrender. Surrender. Being honest that maybe I have a bit of emotional pain going on. That what is going on below the surface. And this week, we're going to specifically dive in. There's these seven principles that uh, this pastor in Queens outlines Uh, Pete Scazzaro and this Emotionally Healthy Church. And the first one is is look beneath the surface. And what does that really mean? How do we do that? How how do we become more aware, not just of what's going on, but why? I, I know for me, I have a hard enough time just pausing long enough to try to figure out what's going on. And, and I, I have at least found with most folks in my life, and I know I struggle with this greatly, then it's even harder to ask the follow-up question, which is, why? Why why did I just freak out at my wife? Why did I get just so annoyed at that poor volunteer who just was trying to help? I'm glad I got no amens on that one. I know they're out there, though. appreciate you, though. <laughs> Why? Why am I so agitated? Why am I so distracted? Why am I 36 years old and still living in my parents' basement? It's not a slam. I just mean, like, what, what, why, why do I have no drive? Why, do I be, why am I so critical? Why am I so critical? I'm so critical. I don't want to be critical. God, take away my critical spirit. God, make me have better thoughts for my... Spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend. Why am I so dishonoring to my parents? Why? I know it's there. Maybe we know it's there. But why? And so we get a, a glimpse of this. I want you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles or your, uh, your phones, to Luke 4. Luke 4. Luke is one of the accounts in the scriptures that talk about the life of Jesus, what Jesus did, what he didn't do. Uh, how he goes about his ministry, and we're gonna jump around in Luke four a bit. Luke four, um, the first three chapters are all about Jesus's family of origin, and then uh, we read this in Luke four, verse one. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was <laughs> hungry. And it goes on. I think it's really interesting that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is an odd line in being led into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness, uh, this phrase in Greek, this word in Greek, is um, "eremos." Can you say eramos? Eremos. Eremos. And that's usually translated wilderness or maybe desert in your Bible, uh, which is a bit misleading. So don't think like hot and sandy uh, place. Don't think necessarily like parched. The point is that it was empty. Nobody for miles and miles and miles. uh, Jesus is out there alone. It's often translated as the lonely place, an isolated place. Uh, Actually, most often in the book of Luke, this word is translated as a solitary place. So why does the spirit lead him into this place? Now, there's a lot of things theologically that I'm not going to get into of what's happening here. Jesus, right, if you're familiar with the scriptures at all, is mirroring Israel's story. And, uh, and the confronting the Satan, like there's this sense of confronting evil at the very beginning of his ministry. So remember, Jesus has not really done anything, uh, at least anything that we know of, of great significance in his ministry. Before he starts his ministry, he hears the word from God, this is my son whom I'm well pleased Right? We've talked often, Christians, uh, everything that we do comes from blessing. We're not working for it. Any religion that is built on guilt and shame is not the religion of the scriptures. Not at all. We work from blessing. Jesus is told, this is my son who I'm well pleased by the father. And then he starts his ministry. And so as he goes out into the wilderness, There's a number of things happening, uh, but one, uh, a scholar named Dallas Willard, who I've been reading a lot of recently, points this out. That usually when we think of the wilderness, a solitary place, a lonely place, we do not think awesome. We don't think awesome. We don't think this is going to be a a great opportunity. That This is just some sort of testing. Uh, But the Eremos is actually not a place of weakness, Dallas Willard argues, but a place of strength. He writes this. This is on the screen. Most to whom I have spoken about this matter are shocked at the suggestion that the wilderness, the place of solitude and deprivation, was actually the place of strength. The name for our Lord and the Spirit led him there as he would lead us there to ensure that Christ was in the best possible condition for the trial. In that, uh, in that desert solitude, Jesus fasted for more than a month then, and not before Satan was allowed to approach him with his glittering proposals of bread, notoriety, and power. Only then was Jesus at the height of his strength. Hear this. The desert was his fortress, his place of power. And then throughout his life, he sought the solitary place. Willard and authors argue that he seeks this on a regular basis, and they're right. All throughout these different accounts about the way of Jesus you see him seeking out the solitary place we read uh, about Jesus getting away and slipping out in the middle of the night to the to the eremos uh, if you look for an example if you skip down uh, in chapter 4 the end of a, which chapter 4 is basically a brutally long day in the life of Jesus he's preaching he's teaching in the synagogue Uh, in in, uh, Capernaum in the afternoon. He's at Simon's house healing his mother-in-law like you do. You know, it's like an average day in the life of Jesus. And then at night, we read in chapter 4, verse 40, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus uh, all various kinds of illnesses and diseases, and he's laying hands on them and healing them. So he's healing the sick. He's casting out the evil, uh, you know, later in the night. And then finally we see in chapter 4, verse 42, at daybreak. So it's very early in the morning. He says, while it was still dark... Jesus went out to the Eremos. He went out to a solitary place, and there he prayed. We're looking at an hour or two, and when they came to where he was, they tried to get him to leave, but he would not go. He said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also because that's why I was sent, which is Jesus for what? Jesus talked for. The disciples come to him, and they're like, hey, 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 there's a lot going on. This is cool. You're having your little quiet time, but we got some work to do. Any of you, that's your personality. You know if you were rolling with Jesus, that would be what you would be doing. Anyone? Like you, you know you're that person. You're the one like, yo, Jesus, we got a schedule. And what does he say in the most Jesus way possible? No. (laughs) No. 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 After a brutally long day of kingdom work, up into the early hours, he gets up early in the morning, and he goes out for maybe a short walk to the Eremos, to a solitary place, all alone and in the quiet and the prayer, praying to God. And if you read the story, he comes to the Eremos before things. Before things. So if you're taking notes, first, what we see when Jesus comes out of the solitary place regularly, I don't, we don't have a time to do a whole survey of the scriptures here, but what, just some drawing some things out. He, first, he has some clarity of what he's supposed to do. We see this right here in this passage. If we read, again, I, this quote, I must proclaim the gospel, the good news to the other towns. This is why I was sent. So he has all sorts of clarity. Now, he's in a place of Capernaum, which is a big deal. Capernaum is, is a place pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook, pre-social like media push, This would have been a crucial place to do a lot of great ministry because of where it was located geographically. This would have been, you want to get your message out, do a lot of stuff here, and the word will get out. And Jesus goes, no, I have to keep going. There's something I've been invited to do, not just here. Secondly, he has the ability to say right no to good things, saying no to good things. He's well aware uh, that life is short and fleeting, I'm sure Jesus is well aware of the axiom. Uh, I don't remember who it was. Chambers, who says, the good is the enemy of the best. I could do a lot of good things, but there's a best thing I'm invited to. He's well aware that life is short and fleeting and you can only say yes to, to a few things. Life is short, guys. You can only say yes. Maybe this is all you take away from the message. Life is short and you can only say yes to a couple of things, and do them at least well. You can say yes to a lot of things, and it will kill you. Willard talks about the busyness and hurry. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. Now, most of us, right? Yeah, amen. Amen. I can't do that, but amen. Sounds great. Right? Now, for most of us, this is a non-concept, right? Because we are in a rush. But we never see Jesus hurry. You never see him hurried. You never see him hurried. We see Jesus Jesus comes out of the Eremos with the clarity about what he's supposed to do, with the ability to say no to good things. And then third, we see him walk out with this great immersion in God's presence. He seems dialed in, aware and awake of what's going on. Over and over in Luke's gospel, we read that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He lived in saturation of God's presence all day long. And then he finally comes out empowered, for the kingdom work. We read he kept on preaching in the synagogues, even after a brutally long day. He was not tired or worn or stressed out. He did not say, I feel so overwhelmed. There was grace, there was an empowering presence to step out into all that God had for him. He goes into the Eremos, my guest, tired and stressed out and he exits feeling empowered and engaged and ready to go. I think because what we tried to do last week was demystify um, or not demystify but make sure we are accurate to the scriptures when we are told that Jesus is fully human and fully God. If we understand if we understand that, that incredibly complicated concept to any degree, we so often Circle, highlight, underline that Jesus is God and we neglect his humanity. As we, as we read about last week, talking about Jesus, his soul being downtrodden, he's hurt, a Jesus who weeps, a Jesus who gets angry. So when we say, well, Jesus should be tired, we don't apply like, oh, yeah, well, he's God, so he clearly doesn't even need to sleep. I don't even think he slept. He went into a special chamber and levitated for a while and then came back out. Right? Like, no, he needed to sleep, and he needed to eat, and he was incredibly tired and worn out. But there's something about when things got stressed, he would get up extra early and spend time in the presence. He has clarity about what he's supposed to do, immersed in God's presence, and he's empowered for kingdom work. And so a lot of us, I think this is the opposite of how we end up feeling. Instead of clarity of what we're supposed to do, we have confusion. We're all over the place. Like, who am I again? What am I supposed to do? The number one prayer request I get is, Andrew, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with my life. And it's not just from folks that are like just turned 22. Like it's all the time. Like the midlife crisis is real. Can I get an amen from some folks? I know there's not many of you out there, but you know. The quarter life crisis. Any John Mayers out there? You'll get that reference later. What am I supposed to do? Instead of the ability to say no, we're saying yes to so much. You say yes to dumb stuff. We hear stories. I, I told a story recently of a friend of mine who decided to give up TV, give up Netflix, give up movies for a whole year. And you know what he ended up doing? Writing a book. And so many people came up to me and went, That's so convicting. I just, I've, but I've been meaning to follow up with all those people. Like, cool, so you did it, right? Nah, no, we say yes to stuff that we shouldn't say yes to. A mentor of mine had an image of me um, years ago. He's one of these guys who would just come with these prophetic images all the time, and he just came and he said, "Andrew, I keep getting this image of you when I pray for you." I was like, "Oh, cool. What is it? It's gonna be." He's such an encouraging guy, and he's British. It just feels good when you talk to Justin. And he goes, yeah, um, mate. I don't know if he said mate. That's Australian. (laughs) Probably didn't say mate. No one believes this story now. (laughs) He, He has this image of me running around a room with a bunch of plates, like in the circus, plates on poles. Ever seen that? And you, like, get one going, and then you go to the other one. You get another plate going, and you go to another one. You get another plate going. And he said, I just see you, Andrew, like, late at night, darting around a room. It's like you got to let some plates crash. You got to let some plates. This is, I feel, in so many ways for a lot of us, the spirit of the age It was Blaise Pascal who said, all of men's misery derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. This is a bold claim. What he's saying is, it's not just the ability to say no to things, but to be able to know what to say no to. As a follower of Jesus, to be able to be attuned to what the Spirit, how the Spirit's leading To be awake and aware of what's going on below the surface, you got to stop. There is no other fix. There's no other fix. And so I think my brother Blaze is on to something. All of men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. Now for thousands of years all over the world, followers of Jesus have engaged in these things called spiritual practices or spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines. And so often the ones that always rise to the surface are these, silence, solitude, prayer, fasting, and meditation. There's there's probably like 20, 30, depending on your tradition, depending on how you count them. These are just ways to practice the way of Jesus, the disciple, habits to form that help Transform your mind and body into into somebody who is truly walking the way of Jesus. But these five, no matter the tradition, seem to always rise. Seem to always rise. Silence, solitude, prayer, fasting, meditation. You can see a little grouping going on here. This is what you see Jesus engaging when he goes to the Eremos, to the solitary place. To be still. In chapter 4, Jesus goes to the Aramis for an hour or two in the morning. I think it's helpful to point out, because it's not just the 40-day retreat up the mountaintop. Landing this teaching is not in everyone needs to take you know, a, a 40-day climb. Needs to go on a 40-day fast, though those aren't bad ideas. That we all need to move to monasteries. This is Jesus in the regular flow of his life, stepping into the Eremos, into the solitary place, because that's where his strength seems to come from. I don't know how you do solitary time, if you do it at all. I mean, solitary, like phone goes off. Anyone, when they even hear the phrase, my phone goes off, you get a little panicky. Anybody? Yeah? No? (laughs) Some of you are craving that. I've met more and more folks that are craving that. Anyone out there? They, like, want the power and strength to be able to distance themselves. I think I mentioned this. There's actually a phone that was just created, and it's essentially a very nice, beautifully done, looks like something that came off the Apple supply line. Uh, It's a dumb phone. It's just a dumb phone. You tether it to your phone. So you can turn your phone off. So anybody who feels like, well, I still want to have my phone on me in case I need to call 911 in case something awful happens or someone needs to absolutely reach me on the phone, but you can't text on it. It's just like a, like people, in other words, are creating $250 phones that do one task, which is what phones were originally created to do in the first place. So I just, I highlight that as a, it's a sign. It's a signpost, right? It it, it makes us aware of the fact that what? People are craving this, but we don't know how to do it. We actually need to build products that are, like, just good enough and sexy enough to, like, help us, like, untether from the other really beautiful device that we have. I need a device for my device. How I do solitary times. I struggle with this and for a long time. I don't get up early. Anything before 630 is of the devil. Um, but uh, I'm trying to get better at it. Uh, for me, it's getting up, trying to not schedule early morning meetings anymore, helping my family, like our schedule is a l- little different in the morning now, but making sure I'm up and present and awake as much as I can be and then helping the kids um, gather gather themselves, get up, get dressed as, co- as my wife is finishing up some early morning work that she does and then making sure that I actually have some gap and boundary to go and to sit, to take 30 minutes every morning and reflect on God, to be still. I don't know if any of you journal. I've finally gotten back into journaling. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing to actually take time to go, dear. uh, For me, it's a prayer. It's like, God, this is what I'm feeling. But ever since thinking about this emotionally healthy stuff a few weeks ago, I now have a couple entries that are like, dear Andrew, which feels really weird. But you get used to it and you're like, hey, I, it doesn't need to be eloquent. I'm just like, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's going on. Why am I, why, why this? It's a scary thing for many of us to do, but to actually slow down enough to get time. Every Saturday, every Monday is my Sabbath. So I'm with, I'm with my two young girls, four and one. So it's becoming less and less restful. But at one o'clock, 1.30, two o'clock, Both girls go down for a nap, and so I have at least two hours. And so a discipline that I'm starting, I I literally just started last week for the first time, is I'm not going to nap no matter how tired I am. I'm not going to nap because I need to spend time reflecting and being open and asking the question, what's really going on beneath the surface? Starting to turn my, this is something I was challenged on last week that I'm going to try. So I'm right with you in these challenges. I'm going to try to turn my phone off at 9 o'clock and just not turn it back on till the morning. Just get it off, 11 hours of freedom before I go back into the jail, the prison of my cell phone. (laughs) Get creative, some of you are extroverted. And so you're like, that's great for you, Andrew. We know that you're an introvert and so you enjoy you know, misty, sad, quiet time with a candle and the spiritual art of the French press and you like all that stuff. I just want to be around people. I get it. You got to figure that out for yourself and run it through that grid. But we need time in a solitary place. We need regular time with Jesus that is non-negotiable, that is part of your rhythm. So now I know what a lot of you are thinking. I am too busy And if you feel too busy for that, 30 minutes, Andrew, forget about that. Ten minutes every day in the morning, that is too much. I am absolutely in every way too busy. If you would turn in your Bibles over to Luke 5 and watch me kick you in the face. I mean, winsomely try to help you see something different. Luke 5. We read this. The news about Jesus is spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him. They're being healed of illnesses. The word is out. There's a prophet, a rabbi, maybe he's even a Messiah, the son of God on the street who is healing the sick and casting out evil. He's becoming a household name more popular than ever and more demand than ever before. And so we read chapter 5, verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Guess what that lonely is place, word is? Yeah, Eremos. On a regular basis, he was in an area where he would pull away. I'm pretty sure that Jesus was busy. He was saving humanity. And I'm pretty sure that if you're busier than Jesus, you are not emotionally healthy. All right? I don't want to be too hard, but if you just follow the logic there, we're all on the same page, right? Would you agree with that? (laughs) Jesus made this a part of his life. You can even chart it that as things seem, you can make an argument that as things ramp up, Jesus is spending more and more time in the air Particularly the busier Jesus was more in demand of people. The more at least the text says that he gets away for silence and solitude and prayer, fasting and meditation, these would have been the things that a good rabbi would have done. And so most of us... Most of us, I think, when things get really busy and crazy, we do the opposite. I've said this so many times, but it's just something that I have to keep reminding myself of. It's Luther who says, when things are, are, like, are, are going all right, I spend an hour in the morning with God. It's an hour in the morning being still with myself. When things are crazy and busy and I have no time for anything and I'm stressed out, I get up two hours earlier, Right? I get up two hours earlier. Luther is mirroring what we see, Jesus. My point really in all this is no matter how you are wired and whatever your personality is, there's something that God created you for, and there's a way that God is inviting you to thrive, and there are things that God's inviting you to say no to, and there are ways that God's inviting you into a more robust and beautiful and full and aware and awake life, and that the solitary place is central to this. You might not want the Eremos. You might not want to go back into your schedule tonight on a Sunday night before you begin a new week and rethink about your schedule. You may not want to do that. But I'm telling you, you crave deep down what comes out of a space like that. I, I'm making the, the, the arrogant claim that I know what you crave because when I look in scripture, when I look in the life of my friends who've been practicing the way of Jesus for a long time, I look at church history. When I look at the great and the saints before us, I go, oh, yeah. What came out of the Eremos, what came out of the solitary place was powerful. That deep down, you actually crave what comes out of that space of knowing what's going on below the surface. You crave you crave. You crave clarity of what you're supposed to do. You crave clarity of being able to know what you are supposed to say no to. And you crave the the, capacity, the ability to be immersed in God's presence and to be empowered to do the things that you are invited to do, that you were created to do. Doesn't that sound good? Right? So it'd be really easy to end here. Have a quiet time. Peace be with you. But to end where we started, it's not just taking the time to be still. As Pete Scazzaro again in his book talks about, there are people who um, spend a lot of time in Bible study, spend a lot of time, they've got an app and a rhythm that they do every morning. They take time to receive content and to be still but they never actually ask the question, how am I feeling? And then even deeper, why am I feeling what I'm feeling? And so he uses the iceberg metaphor. An iceberg, there's far more below the surface of an iceberg than there is on the top. Asking the question, not just what's happening. You could throw out my little anger iceberg there, Pat. There's what's going on for me when I'm thinking through, dear Andrew, why are you so angry lately? There's this low-grade hum of just frustration and anger. Anyone else have that from time to time? Cool, I'm alone. Why do I find myself screaming? No, 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 no. I oh, know, honey, I'm not screaming. My voice, my volume's just—I'm Irish, so I raise my voice a little more. It's not screaming. That's me. That's my line. And anyway, you got a good one. I'd love to borrow that because I scream and I pretend it's not screaming. Why am I so more emotionally volatile? Why am I the outbursts? Why do I why am I slamming doors? Like what's going on? Like I've noticed over the last as I'm like kind of evaluating what's going on. It's the second question that I've realized is interesting to me. And we see actually Jesus do this. We're gonna see this in a moment. Actually, what's happening is I'm frustrated about some things. I'm really hurt by something that someone else did. Here are some other examples as I kind of surveyed a few friends of mine. I'm feeling embarrassed about something that happened. I'm feeling incredibly worried and confused, and I don't have control. And so my personality comes out as I try to control the few things that I can, and it comes out in the way of anger. Once again, Jesus is our template for this. In Matthew 26, verse 36, this is what we read uh, again, last week, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, which was by the Mount of Olives. So Jesus was in the city of Jerusalem, where every, where like everything's going on. He's on a regular basis. He's in this space, and he would slip out of the city, out of the urban noise, uh, short walk away to the garden. This is like a basically a park that's right outside the city. He would sit there and he would pray. So he's a stone's throw away from his disciples. Um, and it says he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he says he, quote, began to be sorrowful and troubled. Most of us think when you get some time with God, you're just going to be really encouraged, get some quiet time to figure out what's going on below the surface. Jesus goes away and does his, like, quiet time. (laughs) He goes to the Eremos, and what happens? I am troubled and sorrowful. Jesus actually, like he's gone away, and and when he takes a deep breath, he realizes, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, he says, to the point of death. He falls on his face to the ground and prays, my father, if it is possible, will you take this cup from me, not as I will, but as your will be done. Notice two things about Jesus right here. First, he's aware of his emotions. He's aware of his emotions, He's able to look in and go, huh, my soul. Like, if just imagine, like, you pull your soul out of yourself for a minute. Like, it is overwhelmed and troubled. This makes sense. I'm about to be killed on a cross. My soul is overwhelmed and troubled. Jesus is aware of what he's feeling. And so for Jesus, secondly, he knows why he feels what he's feeling. He says, this cup, would would this cup please be taken from me? Which is a metaphor of, God, I don't want to do this. God, will you find another way for me? He's dreading his death. And he knows why he's he's upset. And he's torn up. There's anxiety and dread. And it's because, again, hours from now he's going to be, or days, he's going to be executed and tortured and rejected and abandoned. He knows why he's upset. He knows why. My soul is troubled. Hey, God, would you take this from me? I, this is what's going on. There are times of getting alone. There are times when we get alone. Or even in that space, we, uh, we try to make that simply its space to receive encouraging words. And it can actually be a space like we were talking about last Sunday where we just distract ourselves or all the more. And because it feels like it's holy, godly, spiritual content, that it's healthy. For Jesus, the Eremos wasn't just a time to read scriptures. The Eremos wasn't just a time to ponder the word of God or Download He Reads Truth. But it was time to look beneath the surface and get in touch with what he was feeling and what he was doing and to ask the why question. And then, and this is where we're going to park it today, bring it before the Father. He brings it to his Father. He says, Papa, Abba, Father. He brings all that he is feeling to God. And so when we do this, when we ask the question or how do I look below the surface, all this means is that you learn to think about what you're feeling and what you're doing. I'm really stressed out today. I'm really stressed out. I'm really down this week. I'm on edge with my roommate. I'm on edge with my fiance. My, I'm on edge with my finances. I'm dreading it. I have anxiety. I just or feel out of sorts. And it's not just awareness of what you're doing, but why, asking the why questions. A lot of us never get there. Why am I stressed out? We're the only creature on the planet that has the ability to think about what we think about. Right? We could think about what we think about. And to be able to step back and go, wow, I am being a jerk today would be a really healthy exercise for a lot of you. Humbly. Kidding, no jerks here. Why? What is happening? But if we never stop to ask that question... I think what we end up doing is praying prayers like this: "God, take away my emotions. God, take away the bad emotions." We end up praying things like, "God, I, ris- I I, don't know what's happening with my wife. Would you please make me more in love with her?" God, I, I, I don't know why I'm, I don't want to be angry anymore. Lord, will you make me happy? How many of you have ever had a prayer like that answered? I'm saying it's a bad prayer. I've never had a prayer like that answered. Ever. And I don't think it's that God's just sort of like, I I don't know, not listening to those types of prayers. C.S. Lewis says pain is like a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That God actually wants us, and he doesn't want to like take away the thing, to take away the negative emotion, to take away the brokenness. He's actually going, you need to pay attention to that. The worst thing I could do would be to take that feeling away. You need to find out why it's there. And trust me, he will meet you in that place. I can testify to how faithful God has been to meet me there when I actually stop long enough to go, I feel that way. Why do I feel, oh, there you are, Jesus. It's just like Jesus be come here. Come to me. It's really hard for me to help. The transformation of your mind to help you become the loving, compassionate person that I created you to be when you are not identifying the fact, the places where you are far from that. Pain, a megaphone to rouse our deafness to what's really going on. To what's really going on. And so we then see God pray. We see Christ pray. We see Jesus come to the Father. It can be terrifying to get away to the Eremos. But right in the thick of everything that's going on, we read in Matthew 26, in the thick of his emotional pain, he calls Abba Father. There's trauma and there's dread and anxiety and fear. And he goes to his Father. Father. It's like he realizes what's going on and he owns what's happening below the surface. My, my daughter is uh, a bit of a rule follower, which is great, I guess. But when she does something bad, we realize it was so hard to get her to say sorry. Not because she wasn't sorry, but because she'd be filled with so much shame and guilt and really wouldn't know what to do or why she was acting the way she was acting. And granted she's, you know, four years old, but she would just lose it full of, I don't know, shame, guilt, distress. And we would sit there, we love you no matter what, we love you no matter what, but you need to say you're sorry. Crying, crying, crying. At first I thought it was just like, you know, some clever mechanism to get out of saying sorry. Should not have thought that. Just so much sadness and sensitivity. I was just recalling this morning of like this one time where she was able to own the thing that had happened. And she just came to me. Daddy, I know you said to not do this. And I and I did it. Oh, gosh. And then as soon as she could get that last word, and I did it. She couldn't even get to I'm sorry and she just buried her wet crying face in my chest. And it seems like as appropriate a picture as any, what happens when we begin to look below the surface and ask why and to trust that our Father is there. Jesus, Son of God, filled with absolute exhaustion and hurt and pain Sees, uh, this is how I'm feeling. My soul is deeply troubled. He says, God, will you take this cup for me? I don't want this. I know why I'm feeling this way. And he says, Father, but I trust you. But I trust you. Jesus gives us a bit of a map of what it means to look below the surface, what it means to be honest and acknowledge what's happening in our hearts. So whatever you're feeling, whatever you're feeling, the odds are that whatever is below the surface for you is a little bit you know, more serious than my daughter colored on the walls or whatever. But it's down there and it's not really that different. What's hiding under the surface that you're scared to bring to God, that you're scared to bring to your home group, that you're scared to bring to your spouse? Maybe you're just scared for a lot of us, the first step is to even admit to ourselves. And so whatever is under the surface, whatever is causing emotional pain, emotional immaturity, whatever it is, first and foremost, This, hear this, first and foremost, acknowledging that and bringing it before God. This is an opportunity for intimacy with God and for you to shove your face into the Father's chest. It's a healing thing. It doesn't need to be a big epic thing for some of you who are only holding a wallet size full of emotional pain. It's only a little bit. freedom, the empowerment, the clarity that comes from going to the Aramos, from building that in as something that you value as a follower of Jesus, and allowing that to be a space that causes intimacy to happen with God. So to end, we are not in a solitary place. You are with 200 of your closest friends. You're not alone. But I wanna create just a minute too, just to listen, to be still. This band will be getting into place. So I want to encourage you just to close your eyes. We're going to wrap up our time together in a moment. And so just to be still. To come before God and go, "Okay, what? God, what's below the surface here? For some of you, it's the prayer that we ended last week with. Search me and know my heart. Guide me. Know my anxious thoughts. Reveal the sin in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me. I can't search myself sometimes. Let's take a moment to be still. I wanna invite the communion servers up. we're gonna take a few minutes to be still, come back up, we'll come and take communion and then just sing this song together that we've been ending our time with. Here's my heart, Lord, speak what is true. Maybe that's your prayer right now is, here's my heart, Lord, speak what's true. I don't want to just feel good. I want what's true. So let's be still.